0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and thanks for joining our webinar today looking at the digital transformation of the food value chain. We have a great panel of experts today ready to give their thoughts and insights, and I thank them very much for taking the time to share them with us all today. So I'd like to welcome Jared Anderson from ADM, Sean Day from Better Food Ventures, and Matt Carstens from Landers Co-optive, have all, all have extensive experience in this area. And the moderator for the session is Aaron Magenheim, who's the CEO and founder of AgTech Insight and works with multiple companies on levering technology for benefit throughout food production and supply. One final thing from me before I hand over to Aaron is to say that if you have the ability, that you have the ability to ask questions through the webinar platform, and I'd encourage you to do this. I can't promise that we'll get to them all, but we'll do our best to integrate them into the conversation. So without further ado, over to you, Aaron, the floor is yours. Thanks very much
1: great thanks a lot Pete uh, appreciate uh, having us uh, on board today um, so we're uh, we have an exciting uh, conversation we'll be having here over the next hour um, we'll be kind of walking a bit through uh, technologies that are being used and um, in, and uh, in, from the producer level, kind of uh, moving out through supply chain as, uh, as the conversation moves on. And then we'll spend a few minutes at the end talking a little bit more about kind of uh, newer, exciting, emerging technologies, kind of where things are going in the next few years and things along those lines. So, um, yeah, I'd like to uh, give give each one of the panelists uh, just uh, a few seconds to tell you a little bit more about uh, themselves um, My name is Aaron Magenheim, uh CEO founder of Actic Insight as well as Growers Insight and uh, We uh, work on strategy, but uh, especially kind of focus more on the implementation side of technology um, With companies all around the world um, and I am in Salinas, California today um, Jared
2: Great. Hi Aaron uh, so I work for ADM, which is one of the world's largest agriculture processors and food ingredient providers. Uh, my team is within the company is tasked at looking at building the emerging technologies that influence the way the world produces, distributes, buys, sells, and consumes food. So I'm lucky to be able to play with the really fun stuff out there.
1: Great, uh, Matt.
3: Yeah, thanks so much. I appreciate it, Aaron, and Matt Kirstens, and I work with Landis Cooperative, and we're based in central Iowa. Actually, our home office is in Ames, Iowa, and we cover uh, 23 counties here in Iowa and a few southern uh, tier of counties in Minnesota, and we're owned by our farmers, which is the cooperative part of it. We're proud of that heritage and, and representing our farmer owners every day, and helping them in this very topic of how do we really lean into the future of agriculture and food with this space of technology and data and really make this come come to life all the way from their farms to the kitchen tables of of consumers. So excited to be a part of the discussion today.
1: Great, thanks. Um, And Shauna.
4: Yes, Shauna Day. I'm a partner with Better Food Ventures. We're early stage investors in food tech and ag tech. Um, focused on primarily on IT so hardware software applications within the sector and I cover infield technology and post harvest so from the farm gate through distribution looking at the different technologies and and making investments into that space I am uh, dialed in today from sunny central California where it's expected to be about hundred and seven degrees so happy we're uh, we're doing this on the earlier side
1: Great. Well, thanks everybody. So, let's just dive right into it. So, we're going to start talking a little bit kind of uh, about producers. Um, so, just kind of, um, let's see, Matt, you want to, uh, you want to start out with um, kind of telling us how you're seeing uh, technologies being used by producers um, in your world, uh, kind of, you know, what's, what's working
3: today? Well, absolutely, Ernie. You know, this is a big, big space for farmers, whether it's on the cropping side, livestock, uh, all the way through the food value chain, without a doubt. So today, what's working well, I'd say, without a doubt, uh, automation, uh, the use of technology to really apply variable rate and selective uh, different products and that, particularly in agronomy, has has been a, a big value within our industry. If you imagine a football field and and that football field having 10,000 flowers on that field, we can make decisions flower by flower or even a group of flowers. It's an amazing technology that that we have today to really be more selective in how we produce um, a single crop, a single uh, hybrid or plant all the way through the entire field or farming operation on the agronomy side. On livestock, it's really now down to, and I'll talk specifically to dairy, which is a big part of our animal nutrition business here at Landis, is about the individual cow. We can now use technology to know more about that cow than, than she may know, we'll know hours or days that she's about to be sick before she does and i I refer to it as fitbits the cows have fitbits like we wear around their necks or different uh, uh, legs part of their body that, that helps monitor temperature monitors the the intake how it chews all the things that goes on with that cow that really helps us be more precise and then all of this can be put together in a way from the farm that allows us to do traceability, identity preserve, sustainability scoring on down the line to be able to put the power of not only what's in the, in the arsenal for the farmer to better produce the crops in a way that are profitable for them, better for the environment, but also then be able to take that and move it all the way through that food value chain to tell the story. Again, whether it's about sustainability or traceability or certain traits, starch, whatever the case may be, we've got the ability to to turn that on all the way through. So I like to say in agriculture, it's absolutely an exciting time because the truth of the matter is, and we'll get into this, Aaron, that we're at the the very cusp of where this is going, and the bigger journey really lies ahead on the data side, and how we turn on even more power to these technologies and and really lean into the future where we're going, and and we'll get to that. So I'll stop there for that piece, Aaron.
1: Great, Matt uh, or uh, Jared, uh, Shauna, you have, have anything you'd like to add?
3: I could
2: probably add from my my perspective is the data piece is is key. There's so much data that is being generated and will be generated you know, as we put more sensors like the Fitbits on you know, livestock, but even sensors out in the field, visual recon through drone imagery. Uh, there's so much satellite imagery. There's so much data that's being generated. And really the question is, how do we consume that information for insights and combine that data you know, from the farm level all the way through the whole ecosystem, even out on social media? to be able to identify new kinds of food trends. What are consumers really looking for? What kind of food products are they looking for? Are they looking for something that's global like other countries? New kinds of tastes are being generated. You see trends like uh, like the Impossible Burger coming up. And those things are really in the first iterations of what can be produced. But all this information that's being generated, we can continuously derive new insights from, make things faster, make things more, uh, really eco-friendly and appropriate, you know, from a nutritional perspective and really from a global sustainability perspective. Uh, and we, and we take a step back, and you look at everything from a system perspective. It's no longer just you're focused on one aspect, but you got to look at everything across the entire spectrum, the entire system from the, from the farm all the way to the fork, to the mouth, into the body, down into the microbiome. It, it's... Conceptually crazy, which is fantastic because we're able to use these new technologies, artificial intelligence, which is emerging, and the barriers to entry to use these kinds of technologies are becoming so low now, uh, you would think that it's very expensive to use some of these things, but it, it's not. There's so much open source you know, software out there. People are generating these new technologies. Our capability to use these things to build wondrous you know, solutions that will benefit the world are just always emerging. increasing in speed so things to think about
1: definitely Shauna what uh, what are you seeing kind of from the investment standpoint um, on on the field side of technologies and and we can kind of roll in a little bit to to kind of the next question that uh, that Jared just alluded to as well as you know there's there's barriers um you know there's there's some barriers that are still out there definitely that's why it, there's a lot of opportunity left in the in the ag tech industry but um, what are you seeing kind of on the farm level around um, adoption um, barriers and and really opportunities at the at the farm level
4: sure so the way I kind of organize the farm tech um marketplace in my mind is really around the kind of key activities of the producer so you know digital agronomy and production and the guys have sort of touched on this but that's field monitoring sensors aerial imagery automation Um, and then you kind of move to the farm management side right the software tools that that are increasingly being used you know around record keeping work orders planning resource allocation Um, and then finally you know the the, of course very key activity of, of a producer is market access and finance and I'm certainly seeing, especially in this kind of post-COVID new reality, um, you know, marketplaces to get products to buyers, new finance um, products uh, to really free up working capital, commodity marketing trading tools. So a lot of interesting technologies are starting to percolate in that part of the of the kind of ecosystem as well. You know, I would say from a from a barrier standpoint, um, we are still very much in the early days. We've still got interoperability, connectivity issues. We've got a, an abundance of point solutions and and I like that Jared mentioned the the system kind of concept there, but really today I think we're still seeing very few truly integrated kind of system of systems. I think that's on the horizon um, we're moving in that direction, but we've still got some some work to do there. Um, I would say you know really, I think one of the key barriers and when we're talking to startups and, and thinking about investments. Is especially on this farm tech side, really the ability to clearly link a financial or a resource impact to the technology. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you're an aerial imaging company and you're charging, I don't know, 20 bucks an acre for a season um, of flights, and maybe you get two or three NDVI imagery reports on your field a month. And maybe you see that your back 40 is is stressed, and perhaps it's an irrigation issue. So you need to sort of really uh, look at perhaps fixing, uh, you know, fixing your irrigation lines, or you know maybe you can remediate this a couple days, weeks sooner, and, and have an impact on yield. But there's really a struggle for a lot of these companies to link that activity to dollars. And I think that's what a lot of growers are still looking for: is what is the financial impact? What is the ROI of these of these technologies that we're using? Um so that's one of the things that yeah we're still sort of in the like I said in the early days um from a from a barrier uh, to adoption standpoint
2: Yeah I, okay. I'd like to back that up a bit more is that the from a software perspective the digital aspect of software is is the barriers to entry are low the physical aspects that have to be considered throughout this entire value chain there's a lot of friction there and that's going to take time to overcome those are the physical you know, delivery systems, the, the the machinery, the, you know, all those things have to be considered. And those are things that are gonna take time. But from a digital perspective, the advancements of software, the advancements of artificial intelligence, that's peaking my space's interest, you know, the, what I tend to focus on. So, uh, in what, like being able to generate the data by putting out actually out physical sensors, the imagery, you know, that we can capture from some of these sites. Uh, that's evolving and it's coming on the scene. But, you know, if you have the vision to be able to say, once those things are out there, where do we want to be at? What can we use, or what can we start producing now from a, a, you know, to affect the system as it gets improved? Where do, you know, where do we want to be in the future? That's where my mind is at. That's where, you know, I'm lucky enough to have a team that focus on that aspect. So. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and I think that's,
4: that's great. It's a yes. And right. It's, it's, you know ground truthing with sensors in the field um that's a critical component but the big data you know the the satellite imagery um the huge data sets it's both of those combined together that that really create the the very interesting opportunities and we're getting there but i you know i think one of the areas so my background's in mobile wireless and communications i spent about 15 years um in investment banking in that sector and you know it's really what what i'm keen to to see evolve is that you know platform, right? Who is gonna step into the space? Is it gonna be a Deer? Is it gonna be a Google? Is it gonna be a Microsoft? And have that data platform for the cleansing and the quality um, and the organization of data. So a lot of these really interesting innovative companies can build on that you know, common operating system. And it's probably not gonna be one, it's, it's probably gonna be several, um, but it, it feels like we're starting to trend in that direction.
2: Uh, that to- I totally agree with that. Uh, I think the companies that uh, bring to market a comprehensive platform, you know, whether they be the large companies as you mentioned, uh, or even a startup that might be consumed by the bigger players, uh, that's evolving rapidly. I'm seeing so many startups approach the company that have, you know, the, the nice shiny, you know, <laughs> artificial intelligence algorithm, but it's it, it's it's so minor compared. To, you you have to look at the entire system. You know, you've got to have a, a comprehensive ecosystem and a, the tooling and the software and the intelligence to support that entire ecosystem as it builds out. At least that's that's where I'm at right now with it.
3: Now, uh, this is Matt, and I, I think all those are really, really well said. But I think there's a uh, for the audience, Aaron, uh, there's a really, really big obstacle that needs to be highlighted here and that is the fact that 39 percent here in the us of those living in rural america lack the fcc's minimum of broadband service and just so we're all clear the minimum is 25 megabytes per second on download three megabytes per second on upload which is not very fast so we can talk about all the great things i unfortunately get to live with with within the world of these farmers that they can see all the great stuff that, that jared and and Sean are talking about, and, and it is wonderful, but we have to find a way to get the speed of the internet to run these technologies, to download this data, to do the things that need to happen. I, I often refer to it, and other companies besides Landis, like Land Lakes, spends a lot of time talking about this as well, which is back to the 1940s of rural electrification. We can keep talking about all these great things, but if we can't turn the power on in them to use them in the way they're intended it really becomes obsolete. And the other thing I'd put in this is that all of these tools are, are great, but if we don't have the high speed internet and if we're not collecting all the data today on a, on a, any given field, those over a hundred data points that we can collect. And today we've got maybe 30 to 50 of them. So to really get where we need to go, we've got to find ways to manually enter this data and find other ways to speed up. The entry of, of the data beyond manual entry, because in any given field, it could take uh, for a farmer anywhere from an hour to two and a half hours to enter all this data. And if you think about Landis as 7,000 farmer owners of our company, and let's just assume each of those have five fields, uh, which is probably low, you can tell the amount of time it takes to really turn the power on in these technologies. So I fear a little bit that we keep moving so far ahead, which is awesome but we need to get the base or foundation of this done right, which is just simple blocking and tackling of high-speed internet and all data points entered on the fields, on the animals, and then be able to build from it and really turn on the great power that, that Jared and Sean are talking about, which is very exciting.
2: Yeah, that point hole there is, is the whole physical aspect. There's opportunity there for people who are inventive and who are willing to do the hard work to get that physical infrastructure available to those remote areas that's opportunity. That's, uh, you know, I, that would be a very interesting space to be able to play in to develop businesses or develop, you know, the, the you know, the tooling and the companies that could actually go out there and support that kind of work.
1: No, it's that, well, there is, yeah there is a lot of work you know being done there because it's it's uh, become one of the the top issues um, for for u s government as well as a lot of other governments seeing seeing that that's an issue so i' um, I'm actually involved in a in a super cluster that's organized by fcc and and um, other government agencies to try to build a blueprint um, to to help um, you know help bring uh, connectivity to rural areas so and, and the tough thing you know i think with that piece of the conversation is um it's not necessarily an ag problem it's a uh, it's a rural problem um yep and and so you know from an ag space we absolutely need that um but you know we also have conversations is it going to come from a, a local um kind of provider or is something like um you know like Elon Musk's new company that's that's trying to provide internet to everybody in the world you know are are those the people that will will be able to to handle that so um i i think you know the the key takeaway is that uh is that we have um you know, there's still a lot of barriers out there, whether they're physical um, or or whether they are, um, you know, more on a cultural side of things as well. Um, so. I, I wanted to kind of, you know, it, it, um, you mentioned that, you know, there's, uh, there's, you know, a few data points being pulled from the field today. We need data in order to train machine learning and, uh, and in order to, to at some point get to AI um, and get to the fun, exciting stuff. But, um, you know, the information that we are collecting today it, it, is that being fed up the supply chain at all? Is that being shared? You know, data, data sharing. Um, and privacy has always been a, in a subject, especially in the farming communities. But um, are are you seeing any of the information, you know, being collected on a farm level, um, you know, being being provided, you know, to to your company, um, Jared or or Matt? Um, are are you be, are you able to collect any of that information and, and use that you know, from from your farmers um, and and use that in in your organizations or, or kind of what? How do you see some of that? um, that communication, uh, being done today?
2: Um, uh, this is Jared. So from my perspective, it's not a, it's not a simple answer. There are pockets of development occurring, uh, the vast majority of data that is being generated out there, even in the world, even outside of agriculture is considered dark data, meaning that's, it's, it's generated and not being used. It just sits there. <laughs> so that's where AI can help eventually, uh, being able to consume that data but you mentioned being are, are we actually receiving that data uh, the reason why I said it's not simple is because depending on the data type the kind of data the quality of data being generated the data in itself is valuable and people who are generating the data can recognize that but they don't reckon that they don't have the uh, I guess the industry hasn't matured enough. And this is out, even outside of agriculture where they understand the value of the data. So they're hesitant to freely provide it. And if they do freely provide it, uh, then they come back and say, well, why did I do that? <laughs> so you may see lots of people saying, oh, or lots of startups saying, well, here, share your data with us and we can help you generate insights. Um, it's so early in this technological revolution, if you want to call it uh, that, you're going to see fits and starts and, you know, people taking two steps backwards and forwards. So it's not the simple answer. Um, Ultimately it would be fantastic if the data flowed freely, you know, I, I, in one point of view, but you've got to be able to qualify or quantify the value there and let people own that. So there's things that have to be considered.
4: Um, Yeah.
3: Jared, I really like your answer there. I think that's, that's very well said. It's a very complex answer. And and maybe a way to simplify it a little bit is if if the audience here thinks about them as consumers, who are you comfortable sharing your data with? And it's the same challenge a farmer has. If you put yourself in, in your consumer shoes, are you comfortable with, um, with all of the data being out there of your family, whether it's medical or purchasing habits or, or mm-hmm. eating habits? The answer is probably not and the same is true for the farmer and it's where uh, Landis as our company is being owned by the farmers has to act as that integrator that that collection point and get the right permissions from the farmer to do the things that Jared so eloquently talked about because there is huge power in it but today I remember about, uh, I think it was March 9th to be exact, uh, a group of our farmers got together and, and said the number of people calling, wanting their data, telling them all the great things they can do with it and that they'll protect it scares them. And, yeah, and we show. now, yeah, absolutely. And so how we use companies that, that they do trust and own in like Landis, as one example, um, is the secret to really moving this forward, and, and taking the giant leaps that we need to, to get to the stuff Jared's talking about, because that is, and, and Shawnee, you know this well as well. And what you see is this is their livelihood and just opening up their, their playbook of data is not gonna happen. We have to find a better path and use those trusted advisors uh, that they have to, to really turn the power on on this. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll just build on that, um, especially that trusted advisor piece, with an intriguing, I think, example of how this is happening. Um, but first, I just back it up and say, you know, I also think this question very much depends on the cropping system. Are we talking about fresh produce versus permanent crops versus grains and oil seeds, um, you know, versus livestock, dairy, seafood? I think that data is flowing in different ways. You know, certainly in fresh produce, the traceability requirements. Um, you know, we're probably getting a little bit more flow of data there than maybe some of the other um, cropping systems. But I think the example that, that like I said, I'm intrigued um, by, and maybe it's just a little bit different angle, is really thinking about, for example, data that's being fed um, from the farms, the financial institutions, for better risk assessment, faster underwriting, um, you know, the potential to reward farmers are maybe s- implementing sustainability practices with um uh, you know preferred financial products rates etc so you know in my mind that example sort of looks like uh you know let's say a corn grower in nebraska who is implementing certain regenerative practices you know no-till or some nitrogen runoff management um and you have a digital record to validate that and you validate your practices you're also already providing your your bank your financial institution with your p l your financial statements um, you know, components of your inventory. but now you're able to do that digitally with some management information systems. Um, and that can mean you're you're moving from a couple, you know your your line of credit being approved in days and weeks versus months. You're not using you know nine month old information to to supply that banker. And you know maybe then you you find yourself in a situation where you're getting a preferred rate because you can demonstrate these sustainability practices you're lower risk because they can see sort of all this, all this digital information, Um, you know, you can kind of play that out in your minds. And I think that sort of uh, financial piece of this is is really intriguing and and we're gonna continue to see um, improvements in in that um, data exchange. And again, but again, this is certain, you know, this isn't sharing all of your data with with a technology startup, this is your bank, um, your your lender, you know, somebody trusted in in your financial um, uh, support structure.
1: Great. Um, so we had a couple questions come through. Um, we've been focused a little bit more, kind of uh, U.S. North America, in the conversation. But we had a couple questions come through, more around: you know, Are these solutions being uh, used in developing countries? Um, and and you know, I I travel a lot. Um, uh, and I can drive six hours through the middle of nowhere in Argentina and have a significantly better cell phone service um, than mm-hmm. I do traveling through Iowa. Um, and 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 I see that a lot of the times in in developing countries because uh, they're not building on old infrastructure sure, like we are here. So um, does does anybody have any any ideas or insight that they'd like to add? You know, on, on kind of how how technologies are being utilized in in um, emerging countries
2: at least from my perspective you basically hit on it uh, depending on the country and the jurisdiction the local government and so on some of these emerging technologies or more advanced technologies are more easily adaptable or brought onto the market they don't have as many restrictions and sometimes uh, they don't have the infrastructure and the, quote, the friction that they have to overcome and people are ready to, you know, ready to adopt these things. The uh, use of your cell phone in various countries is much more prevalent than it is here in the US in many regards. So I see many farmers, you know, even in Africa, wanting to use these newer technologies. They have access to more broadband type capabilities and monitoring systems, especially, you know, through these cell phones. Um, so it's, it's it's very interesting. It's very, very interesting. And then it was as mentioned earlier, you know, with like Elon Musk, for example, popping up a bunch of satellites around the planet. There are other companies doing the same thing. The broadband usage and the availability of Wi-Fi, for example, or you know, just internet te- you know, satellite technologies is gonna be more freely available. You would hope freely, but I'm not not sure quite yet. Maybe I shouldn't have said it that way, but <laughs> uh it, it's to me it's it's very, very exciting out there. And again, every country is a little different. So
4: yeah, I mean, Aaron, from my standpoint, I, I'm certainly seeing some interest, especially capital flowing into these kind of digital full stack companies in emerging markets or developing markets, you know, where you can source your inputs um, via e-commerce, you can get agronomic advice, you know, you can share information with other farmers in the area, you can access, um, you know, take markets, you can, you can market your Dairy, your, your produce, you know, your grain, all using digital tools. So you can have kind of that full stack from input to to offtake, um, you know, using very little physical infrastructure. So I I think that's, there's, like I said, a lot of capital is flowing into that space and, and those companies are growing very, very quickly.
1: Yeah, they They may be you know lighter technologies a lot of the time to get entry into the market but um but they're building you know kind of building that that uh, baseline infrastructure that we talked about that we need um you know to to really have success with this stuff for for the longer term it seems like um so I want to move a little bit further kind of to the farm gate through kind of supply chain. Um, and talk a little bit about, um, you know, what types of technologies are are using, you know, are being utilized further down the supply chain. Um, uh, Jared, you want to kind of jump into that one? Uh, yeah,
2: it's really the whole machinery that's involved: the the plants, the the transportation systems, the the water transportation systems, the shipping, the trucking, the monitoring, the refrigerators, for example. All those systems are being monitored and, and censored, enabled, and that data we're collecting. And I'm sure every other company out there who has insights into it, they're able to collect this data. The whole idea is to optimize the system as best as, as you can. You want things to go be faster, more accurate. Uh, so we're able, to, we have the technology now to really crunch that. Now it just takes uh, the 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 work to implement those systems, to use the algorithms that are available, to build the models, to crunch the data, to identify better efficiencies, to optimize the system. So it's just an ongoing process in that aspect.
3: Yes, Matt, I I think that that's well said too, Jared. And and I would say, yes, it's about downstream more so as you get closer to the consumer about reducing water use, energy use, more efficient transportation. But, but we really have to remember as you start moving into the consumer side of this equation is what is it they're really looking for? And today it's that transparency of the journey of the product and what did that do to the environment and how did that have a positive effect? And as you start thinking globally, this is a, this is a, a UN initiative that, that we all have to stand up for and really be a part of. But it's important, again, as Jared highlighted, it's about the data and that data and that journey starts on the farm. If you think about grocery stores with over 4,000 products that contain corn uh, and products from the farm, that, that's a lot of products. And we have to start thinking about that data and, and how is it developed? Well, how does that tie out to that consumer? Because that's what the middle of the supply chain is looking for how do they better produce these products in a way that resonates with a consumer that gets them to pull their product off the shelf and not the competitive brand. And today uh, this, this whole piece of, of sustainability really plays and, and you can see it in the grocery store shelves today. That's what they're looking for. So we've got to make sure we're getting all data points at that forum to may answer all those questions that not only helps the farmer, but helps that entire food value chain, or even apparel or cosmetics, all through what we do on the farm through that. And and that's that midpoint, not only what they do with technology and water, energy, transportation, but how they collect that data from the farm to keep that momentum going and be able to tell a more transparent story to that consumer.
4: Aaron, can I I just kind of build on on that a little bit as well? One of the... I think gives me a little bit of heartburn is is seeing more and more cpg you know large cpg consumer packaged goods companies um as well as you know smaller upstarts as well making you know real sustainability commitments to the marketplace um and and in the smaller companies you know it can be a core part of their brand um but how you know how is that messaging connected to what's actually happening on the farm how are those brands um you know, helping those farmers, w- whether it be premiums or, or whatever it is, um, helping them, you know, fulfill those promises that they're making to the market. And today I see a real disconnect there. Um, you know, I've seen several of those large brands kind of come out and make um, statements that that are are um, exciting to the consumer and aligned with where the consumer is. But the, the farmers who are supplying are saying, how how in the world are we going to, you know, do this um, without more support from, from the supply chain? So I, I'm hopeful that that you know, serve is an impetus to start to mm-hmm. use more and more digital record keeping to share that information, um, but it, and for those brands as well to make more strategic sourcing decisions once they they have that data. But today, I I still think there's a there's a gap there.
2: Yeah, you actually touched upon something. Uh, we're looking at is what value can we provide the farmer. You know what value can we generate from the entire supply chain so the farmer themselves can have greater insight as to what's gonna happen downstream so they can make better decisions at the farm level so
1: so, so yeah. I think yeah you know, this kind of segues into a question that we had pop up and and um you know people are we're we're mentioning sustainability quite a bit um and so. You know, as you kind of you know where is the value um you know i've been in conversations with you know leadership from one of the largest uh um meat uh companies in the world you know saying hey we've we feed the world we'll never deal with any of the sustainability or specialty or or anything except like we're going to keep doing what we've done for years and then you have other companies that um you know that that come from a completely different standpoint but yeah you know, so so what is it, where is the demand coming from is is the question um you know for for this data flowing um from the farmer through you know through the supply chain um to the consumer uh because you know there there are some differentiators you know and, and brands that have been able to demand a little bit higher price from the consumer but um you know what wh- where is the demand is it is it from processors saying hey if we have a better idea of what's coming in um are, we're going to be able to manage our processing facility better and not have to shut down a, a a line or a machine because um a truck didn't show up on time um is it is it business related do you think it's more consumer related is it short term is it long term like really where do you think uh, uh, where do you think that demand for um, you know both uh, kind of better visibility as well as um, you know sustainability and stuff where where do you think this this demand is coming from I think this is
2: Jared I think it's the entire system demand is coming from all aspects you, you if you look at it from you know from the ground from the soil all the way to somebody's you know putting food in their mouth to what's happening to their body that entire system you know, the folks that are looking at the inefficiencies or the opportunities through that entire system that's where the demand is it's everywhere you know people who have the you know the vision to be able to you know say this is inefficient let's try something better or this is uh, this is our market this is what we own it's never going to change there's somebody else out there who's going to come up with a disruptive idea you know you have this whole lot, disruptive innovation it's a concept that's flowing out there so many different companies are starting to look at how disruptive innovation is affecting their entire, you know, their their basic, you know, thought around why they exist as a company. So they they need to look at opportunities. Individual farmers, the same thing. You know, unless you're trying to take advantage of the newer technologies or seeing, you know, what you can do to improve what you're doing, somebody else will come along and find something to improve what you're doing. Or, you know, there's a risk. If, if, you, if you stay static, you know, you might be might be fine however uh my bet would be on the innovators the, the disruptors and that's the entire spectrum the entire system is can
3: be affected so
2: yeah it's not i working. think that's
3: i think that's some good comments but i would look at it through a slightly different lens that at the end of the day everyone's doing what they think they have to do to sell more products and sean particularly from consumer packaged good companies to that consumer. And we have to be really careful here about what we're promising and what this means to the whole food system. Because as much as we wanna sit and talk about how important sustainability is, and let me be clear, it is important. But it's easy for us to say that in countries where we can afford to pay more, that we're willing to to buy that brand because it resonates with us. But if we have to overhaul the entire food system, starting at the farm level to do that and produce farm less efficiently or without the the technology that it really takes and the data to back it, then have we really fulfilled our mission of feeding this growing hungry population economically and sustainably? And so I, I think we have to really try to connect the supply chain instead of having the middle piece. And I've seen this time and time again, a company has an employee that was on a farm with their grandfather or grandmother back 20 years ago, and now they're the expert. And because the right thing from a, from a packaging standpoint is to say that this is how it was raised or produced. And that drives costs for the farmer. Is that really right? Have we done the right thing to help feed back to one of the earlier questions you had, Aaron, of of developing countries, countries that aren't as as, uh, fortunate as we are in certain parts of, uh, of the world. We really have to take a step back and breathe a little bit and understand the whole cause and effect. Just because it may be good for a CPG doesn't mean that's where we really need to go as we try to do the things globally that we need to do with food. So I I really think about companies like our own that are owned by farmers, where we're touching every step already. We can tell you with the right amount of data what's gone on and where the improvement areas are and the steps that we will be taking to do that to secure food profitably and to feed as many people as possible and do it in the best sustainable way that's possible today. And then we can start turning on some of the power of of, uh, of the technologies and things we're talking about. But uh, I'll use the phrase here and stop with we've gotten the cart in a lot of cases ahead of the horse. And that doesn't mean that isn't what we should be doing in the future. But there is a journey to moving everyone in that supply chain that direction. And I think we've lost really some some side of that. And it's disappointing to me. And it goes off of what Shauna was saying is when you get that that piece of the channel ahead of the farmer where this journey really begins, it's it's really disheartening, especially with the economics of a farming operation today, where you get a CPG company trying to override that. That that's honestly just just out of bounds, in my opinion, as, as a company owned by farmers.
1: Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting because, um, you know, we're, we're going back to where we kind of started the conversation was, you know, we really just need better, more and better data um, put, put into platforms so we can understand the business value behind this stuff. Because um, a lot of times, you know, people want sustainability. Absolutely, everybody wants sustainability, but if they're not willing to pay for it. Um, You know it it becomes a a challenge and and you have to look at the timing as well I mean, I've been my my mom uh, Was buying organic stuff, you know 35 years ago when I was a kid and there was not organic and now every store you walk into Most parts of the world you can find organic foods, but you know, it's taken 30 years for that uh, Market to grow but you'd have also seen you know the, the the cost of that organic food go down significantly so yeah, you know, I think you know the challenge with a lot of these technologies is is tying the business value, um, you know, to the uh, to to the additional work or or the additional um, uh, traceability and, and insights that you provide. Um, so yeah. wanted to kind of jump into. Um, here, kind of, you know, there's there's constant changing global trends. We live in a global economy. Whether people think that they're just going to buy American and and uh, or buy local, um, moving out of this pandemic, I think is is something people like to talk about. But I we're we're too globally oriented at this point to really go that direction. But, um, you know, so when we start looking at kind of global consumer trends plus the, the pandemic, um, you know, they create supply and demand challenges, um, you know, and so what? What ideas? What types of tech are um, you, you guys seeing that could help? Um, you know, help bring those data points together. Help um, you know producers um, understand more of you know. In California, we're in the beginning of our planting season, and they're saying, you know, some guys are saying we're going to plant like normal. Other guys are saying we're not planting anything, um, and there's a lot in between. And so what kind of tech do you see is out there that can kind of help manage and monitor and provide more insights into um, you know what's going on, and, and kind of help even out, um, you know, the supply chain issues that we're that are being uh, very obvious in the last
3: few months around the world. Well, for me, Aaron, this is Matt. It's it's a real simple answer to that question. Any tech that we come forth in a good example of
4: this, uh,
3: has to be able to balance economics for the farmer and the rest of the supply chain with the desired outcome when we try to just pick a part of the supply chain lift it out and go this is what has to happen and everybody else get in line doesn't matter what the economics are we lose so we have to bring technology that allows the farmer to look at things from an economic and an environmental and whatever else we want to look at and be able to tie those back it's the only path to success if we try to force a farmer or a a, production plant or a CPG or a consumer in a direction, any part of that supply chain breaks down. So when we bring technology that helps the farmer make more money and helps them do it in a way that's better for the environment, better for their operation, we'll win. Whether it's livestock, row crop, doesn't matter. And if we always keep our, our crosshairs on that piece, we'll win every time up and down that supply chain it's when we again cherry pick a piece of it and go, I'm gonna go make money on this and this claim, we end up in these debates and debacles that in some cases like Shauna and and, uh, and uh, Jared mentioned, it, it's a mess.
4: Hmm.
1: Jared, Shauna, you have uh, anything to add around kind of the, the... How, how to flatten out the the supply and demand challenges and and kind of the the consumer trends. Um, I, I guess go, go ahead, go Jerry. Ahead,
4: <laughs> I just I think for me, um, I wish I had a silver bullet here. I wish I had a great answer here. What I've seen is a lot of investment at the endpoints, right, in farm tech, um, in precision ag, and then. On the other side of the of the value chain with the consumer experience right a lot of meal delivery kits last mile delivery um we're seeing obviously an increase a huge increase in online shopping um you know for your grocery needs but very little relatively very little investment has been made in the messy middle right that space in between from the farm gate to the to the distributor um or to the retailer actually and and i think you know, that's where, that's where we're really looking for tech companies who can, who can help um, ease and help provide that data that gives consumers signaling information through the supply chain. And uh, for example, we just made an investment in a company called Afresh, and they're really doing that at, at the retail um, point. You know, they're helping make better buying decisions for those buyers in re- at, at the retail um, uh, locations, you know, to, to really optimize, to reduce waste. And and have better insights into into what impacts um, you know buying behavior. Now that information should flow up and down the supply chain, right? And what I find is a lot of it stops with the processors, with the food manufacturers, and that information doesn't flow back to the to the grower. And granted, you can only do so much, right? It, you've got only so many. One harvest a year, maybe if you're a fast turn row crop, a couple, but there's not a lot of flexibility that you have in timing. There's some with harvest timing and so forth, but you know to be able to aid in getting that information to flow up and back um, is is really critical, and we're just not seeing that handoff yet now we do see um, some potential in technologies like blockchain or even digital sort of digital ledgers you know that we're starting to move in that direction, and in some cases, blockchain is too um, too robust, let's say for, for some of these applications and, and the numbers don't pencil, but to be able to kind of share a digital ledger, um, you know, through through trusted partners, you're starting to get that kind of information flow, but we're just not there yet to make these kind of critical supply and demand decisions when we see a dislocation in the in the mm-hmm. supply chain.
2: Uh, I guess I'll, I'll take another viewpoint that really builds on what I think everybody's saying is, Again, looking at the entire system as a whole, there has been great advancements in precision farming. There's been great advancements in understanding what can be done in monitoring the fields, and the soil, and the water, and the temperatures, and the growing, and the seeds, and so on. The middle of the whole piece, the whole delivery system of the supply chain, there's constant uh, investment being made there. It doesn't necessarily mean constant improvement in brand new technologies as there are at the edges, which is like the farm. Now, the other end is there are constant improvements at the human nutrition level, like DNA-based diets, investments in understanding the microbiome, the consumption of the food product, what it actually does in the body. Those are you know, scientifically backed you know, systems we're trying to look at to see what, how, what kind of foods are being produced, how are the foods you know, being transferred along the supply chain all the way into a person's body, and how does it affect the person themselves? So there's great advancements in the kind of technologies looking at that level of information. So at both ends of the spectrum, from the farm level to the actual consumption of the food product by a human being, big advancements are going on there and new leaps are you know, occurring as in our understanding of the different You know, those systems There, the middle of it, this whole supply chain. There's always investments going on, new, new kinds of processes being you know, figured out and new efficiencies being determined. But it's, it's not flashy. It's, you know, you're trying to deliver, you know, new trains or new, you know, delivery systems or, you know, looking at barges and freights and, you know, you know, how you distribute food. You had mentioned uh, like the last mile delivery, you know, are we sending food to supermarkets or are we going directly to the house? <laughs> it's it's the edges, both ends are, there's great, you know, activity happening there. In the middle, there's always activity, but it's not flashy, so... And it's not one big answer. I see there's 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 answers across the entire system going on. It's not like we have to take a step back and figure out the whole thing at once. That's not going to happen. And that's not even rational. It's more of there's activities, people are going to figure out the best thing for the farmers, things are people are going to figure out the best things for the end consumer, you know, from a health-wise. People are going to figure out the best way to improve the infrastructure in the middle. But all in all, it's it will come together. You know, we're constantly improving Even ten years now, fifty, a hundred years now, there will always be improvements going on here. So at least Great. the time doing it.
1: So I want to spend the last few minutes here, kind of jumping a little bit more into like the new emerging tech side, um, you know, which is where people like to talk. But w- where is the reality of this stuff? So, um, you know, when I started spending time in Silicon Valley in 2014, I thought within Three, four years at the most, you know ag tech would be a big industry, everybody would be using it you know we'd we'd get quick adoption and and things would be moving quickly um and, and that hasn't happened. We've moved 10% uh, in the last six years of where I thought uh, in 2014 we'd, we'd moved. So things are a lot slower. Um, but so I have a couple questions here. One, um, you know, where would you like to see the industry? What's really exciting, um, you know, in the next few years? Uh, kind of, uh, you know. In in a perfect world, where would you like to see if if we could figure out uh, broadband, if we could figure out um, you know platforms, kind of what does that look like? Um, Shawna, you want to jump in there?
4: Um, yes, and I, I'm gonna I have a feeling I know what what uh, Jared and Matt the direction that they're gonna go, so I'm gonna take a little bit different angle for this one, and I might also take off my venture capital hat and put on maybe more of a, a private equity hat. I am optimistic about the innovation in the messy metal, um, you know, in the food processing, in value add. Um, I think that there's a real opportunity to kind of have a lot of these big equipment companies um, who have been in the industry for decades and decades, you know, 100 years for some of them, and to really start to look at how they differentiate their hardware with software. And maybe these aren't necessarily venture capital plays, but there's, I think, a lot that can be gained, again, on the efficiency side, um, on the optimization side, when you start to layer in software and differentiate your hardware products, your big, heavy CapEx um, hardware with with software. And there are clear implications for maintenance, for utilization, food safety, quality, um, of course, labor savings, which more and more big food companies and small food companies are, are faced with labor challenges. So I am hopeful that we will see more innovation and investment in that space, transportation management. That's been touched on a couple of times. You know, really looking at load and, and route optimization to make sure that that companies are maximizing their their assets and also reducing their greenhouse gas emissions. Um, I think also sort of hand in hand with that, that first mile, you know, from the farm gate to the processor, or the packer, shipper has a lot of space for um, investment and improvement and that's where you know we start to deal with some of the waste issues that we see you know the, the huge kind of numbers that um, we've all heard about in terms of waste at various points of the supply chain. it doesn't all happen in one, one place but I think that first mile um, certainly has some, some room for innovation and improvement as well. So that's, that's my hope. Um, I, I think those things can, can really be a, a reality as well. Jared, I'll let
2: you go next. Sure, it's actually, I'll just say one thing that comes to mind is really uh, food waste to the entire global ecosystem. There's tremendous amount of waste that occurs throughout the entire system. I'd like to see advances made there to limit that waste as much as possible. And everything that was said will affect that.
3: That's good said. Uh, For for me, I'll, I'll give an example of where I think we have to go and there's one happening today that's very small but take production of of different uh, crops that that have huge benefits to animals uh jenna has got one of those uh we do something with high oleic and that's a healthier oil that you can fry french fries and and uh, chicken nuggets I think whatever we lost is it uh, is it still coming through okay Aaron Yep yep, here good Okay um, so you're producing these crops that help either feed animals or produce a product that helps feed humans more nutritiously, tell that sustainability story all the way through like Hyolaic that for us, we take the soybean, crush it, feed that soybean byproduct to our dairy cows in a value-added product that helps like a prenatal vitamin, but also then allows that oil to go in a healthier way with the high oleic or Plenish, Uh, side of it and move that forward uh, in in a way that really connects that value chain to where the consumer sees a value, everyone in between the consumer and the farmer gets value, and the farmer sees that end use finally, where it goes from their farm, they see it in a a restaurant or a grocery store in a way that's advanced society. That's really where our technology has got to be. And and again, I will remind you, it's got to be good for everyone in that supply chain and we've got to get all the data points tied to that to bring it to life. But when you can do things um, like that Hyolaic as an example, and there's many out there, I think it's an exciting time to uh, to move that forward. Great. So
1: last minute here, if uh, if everybody wants to just tell me the, the one or two technology segments that you are most excited about um, in, in the coming years. For me, it's Um, Machine learning as we get the data points together, it's uh, being able to improve efficiencies and then also blockchain, not necessarily for the blockchain technology, but because it's helping organize our data sets, which is something that that needs to happen through the industry. So, um, Shauna, what what, what is the most exciting uh, technology for you uh, if everything works out right in the next few years?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm particularly interested right now in farm management information systems, and that's really the intersection of kind of digital agronomy, um, farm management software, and in your business, um, you know, your business applications, kind of ERP light. So it's really helping farmers be better businessmen and women. You know, it's what, what decisions are they taking in their agronomic activities, and how does that translate through to the P&L? And we're seeing kind of an emergence of that category. Um, we're still in the early days, but I'm really excited because I think that's what kind of moves the needle in terms of a lot of the scenario modeling. You know, should I do this or that? you're planning, um, should I acquire, should I buy this piece of equipment? Um, but really being able to link what happens in the field to the P&L uh, and balance sheet.
1: Great, Jared?
2: Uh, Again, I'll target one specific item that I'm actually very interested in, it has to do with 3D printing, Uh, being able to produce foodstuffs in your kitchen, you know, specific for your own nutritional needs. And I think 3D printing in that regard will be as widespread as a microwave oven eventually.
3: Great. Um, Matt i would I would say again, I think it's technologies that that really show value all the way through that supply chain. and And again, I'll go back to to or, or things of those natures. There's just such great opportunity there to improve uh, human life, tie rural to urban, um do all the things that we talked about. And that's what's been missing is we haven't spent the time to invest in those areas that really tie things out. so i'm I'm really optimistic to what we can do in the row crop side. Or crops in general and livestock, all the way through to the consumer, and, and kind of maybe hopefully eliminate some of this chatter that that's been distracting uh, that that channel or value chain today. Great. Well, thanks
1: uh, to the panelists for joining today. Thanks for Pete and his team for having us, and uh, hand it uh, and and for the audience for for tuning in. Um, Pete, back to you.
0: Thanks very much, Aaron. That was a great discussion, huge, great topic area, and uh, you managed to cover a fair amount in the hour that we had. It's a shame we didn't have a little longer, so thank you so much to Jared, Matt, and Shauna for all their thoughts and insights, Um, and special thanks to Aaron, obviously, for for keeping the discussion on track so adeptly. Uh, We will be running more of these webinars in the weeks to come. We'll send you details of those as they become available. Thanks very much for all your time. hope everyone stays safe and well. the recordings out to you uh, tomorrow, hopefully, uh, if not Monday latest. Thanks very much. Take care.
2: Cheers.